Hi, I'm Stephen Crafty. I'm presenting Talking Design at RMIT University in Melbourne. This is episode number eight, and I'm with architect Costa Kaiser, who's director of DKO in Globally. Globally, huge practice. Um, you're actually from New Zealand originally. Yes, I'm. A, I'm a Dutch New Zealander. Um, in the fifties, a lot of um, Northern Europeans went to. New Zealand and Australia. My parents went to New Zealand in the uh, early 1950s and they returned to Europe again in the uh, mid-1970s. So I'm, I'm very lucky I've had a um, dual background, uh, 15 years in New Zealand and then probably 10, 12 years in Europe before coming to Australia. And you studied at the university in Eindhoven? Eindhoven? Yeah, I studied at the Eindhoven University. University of Technology. In Holland, you can study architecture in two universities, in Delft and in Eindhoven, quite a large architectural school, and um, really enjoyed it. An obvious question, but maybe not obvious. Why why come to Australia? I mean, you're quite well settled there, surely. Yeah, I, I think I had this kind of sense of still liking the new world. And uh, in those days, in the before coming to Australia, I had the choice of going to America or Canada, yeah. but I chose to come to Australia and I've lived here ever since and um, I'm, I'm very happy here in Australia. Oh, good. We're happy to have you here. The only problem <laughs> is that Australia is a long way from Europe. Huge, huge travel distance. Yeah. I probably travel to Asia uh, twice a month, so I have quite a large office in uh, Vietnam and uh, we're actually doing a lot of work up in Asia, but, but the distance to Europe is a is an issue, is a cultural issue. Um, look, obviously Rotterdam is a long way from Melbourne um, and since we're in Melbourne, you were mentioning before we sat down that, you know, some things are great in Melbourne and some things work really well um, and then some things somehow don't seem to get it quite, people don't get it quite right. I mean, if we look at our city, for example, it's become very uh, high-rise, um, but is that a good thing? You know, just development for the sake of development, and the and the densities aren't exactly Hong Kong or Tokyo. Why are we going into such a highly developed typology? Look, I, I think that's a really good question, Stephen. And uh, I think in ten, fifteen years' time, we'll actually look back and say, what were we thinking on Elizabeth Street, and what were we thinking? Why why did our city evolve like this? I don't necessarily have an issue of high rise buildings, but I think. What buildings give back to the urban environment is probably most important. And the high-rise typology of a building that sits on a car park podium, that sleeve that sits on the ground, really gives very little back to the street. It gives very little back to the city. And I think that's the real issue, that, that these immense buildings don't actually give much back. Mm -hmm. And I think part of architecture, part of what our creed should be, is to give back to the environment and to actually make Melbourne a better place. And I think a lot of what's been built um, in the past 10 years has not necessarily made Melbourne a better place. I mean, we're looking at areas like Collingwood, which is uh, moving into a, a denser environment, but they're kind of low-rise and much more connected to the community in which they're placed. Um, and, you know, I feel even though it's quite different, you know, you're, it reminds you of places like Berlin, Paris, that have kind of this scale that is kind of 
you connect to. Yeah, I, I think that kind of four, five, six-storey scale, there's something about that that's uh, humane. If you look at street sections, the kind of one-to-one street section, streets in Collingwood are normally 18 metres wide. Um, so buildings that are 18 metres high, that's about a six-storey building. So that's a scale that's actually quite familiar. And there's a contiguousness of a, of a streetscape that actually gives an urban environment and also a diversity that's actually very engaging. Because, yeah. um, you know, apartments have become, you know, probably from the mid-90s onwards when you started your practice, uh, mid-90s? No, a bit I started later, my practice certainly in, noughties. Yeah. But the mid-90s in Melbourne really started to take off with apartments. And you would have seen even from when you started your practice um, the change in apartment living. Um, how do you see it? What are the highlights for you and what are the low points? Because, I mean, you know, there's only so many ways you can design an apartment. Where where are we going in apartments? Well, one of my favourite apartment buildings is still a Robin Boyd apartment building on Domain, Domain Road, Road um, and which was built, I think, in the early 60s. Correct. I still think that's a seminal building that actually I've actually walked through it a number of times and does some really good things. It's simple, it has a facade technique that's actually animated and um, there's also a really good sense of environmentability about it uh, through apartments. So I think that was a fabulous building and I think currently there are some really good apartments being built but there are also some really mediocre apartments that, that again, um, I think the thing that Melbourne doesn't have a code like Sydney does, which is environmentally based and amenity based, I think that's a real issue. And I think there are a lot of apartments being built currently that are really mediocre and will become... Um, slums. The slums of the future. Is it, um, Coast, are people bright enough to say, look, this apartment's not working, and the answer is they don't buy that apartment, and then developers start thinking, well, really, people want more, and then that forces the change more than codes? Look, look, I think um, the off-the-plan marketing uh, has uh, really affected how people have actually purchased apartments. Um, people aren't often aware of what they purchase and they walk into high pressure marketing suites that are pretty seductive retail shops and they end up buying apartments that get built through a design construct process that that probably aren't quite what they thought they were buying and I think that's a problem. Uh, and I encourage anyone wanting to buy an apartment to actually buy an apartment that's actually been built that you can actually walk through and can actually tap the walls and actually get a sense of place. There was one apartment I saw recently that went into a slightly new idea, which was the loft apartment with Elman Stone at Docklands. Yep. Different idea. Yep. I mean, they were small, but you had this sense of... Uh, light and space, even on a very relatively small footprint. Yeah, I think um, people want spatial diversity, and I think um, apartment 
apartment design has normally been driven by frontage and um, the wider the frontage, the more amenity the apartment has. But that doesn't kind of give you the spatial diversity that's important. And I think having loft-style apartments where there are tall spaces and small spaces where you can actually have a really six-metre-tall window that faces north that might not have a fabulous view but gets good sunlight and a great aspect I think people are looking for different sorts of spaces and I think um, people are individuals and they want their living spaces to be um, to be individual also so I think it's really incumbent on architects to actually push different sorts of living and um, I mean look you obviously travel enormously to um, Vietnam right through Europe. How would you say Australians uh, live differently to Europeans or Asians? I mean, you know, when you're designing an apartment, is there just a standard format that, that works for everyone? Or is there certain things in Australia that if you actually did, people would say, I can't live here? What are the subtle differences that are in your um, head? I think the the concept, and it is a bit of a uh, age-old concept of inside-outside living, I think um, even if you live in an apartment, engaging with the engaging with a loggia, an outside space that's that's kind of protected but still on the outside, I think that's really important, and that's actually part of our lifestyle. Um, more so than Europe. More so than Europe. In in Europe, it's very much an inside-outside story. Uh, it, it depends. You know, when you, certainly certainly in Holland and Germany, um, there's less of a um, inside-outside living and I think really good apartments in Australia need to have a strong connection with outside. Um, that natural ventilation, actually being able to sit in a loggia type space that's an outside room and to actually be protected and just enjoy the amenity is actually really important. Um, Coase, you mentioned before you're doing a lot of work in the area of workplace yep. environments. Yep. And they have changed considerably over the last 10, 15 years. You would have seen those changes. They're enormous. Where are we heading to at the moment? Because we had this huge shift towards open plan, people stuffed around a table, can't move. But now I feel this, people are kind of reacting a bit against that environment where they do want a bit of privacy. Is that right? Yeah, I think that's actually right, Steve. You were talking about... A battery hen process before and I think the efficiencies of workspace have actually driven uh, again just a almost a workspace nastiness which which I don't think is very healthy I think just like living people want individuality in their workspace people want a private space but also a public space so I think workspace design is about giving um, giving people a sense of diversity occasionally you actually do want to be social occasionally you do want to hang out the coffee machine and actually talk to someone but occasionally you actually want to sit in your cave and just think so I think good workspace design is actually about providing diversity of choices. There was quite a move, I'd say 10 years ago, that you weren't even allowed to own your space. So you walked into a building and you literally had to move around the building every day because if you got too connected to one space, someone would tap you on the shoulder and say, look, Coase, I think it's time you moved on to another part of the building. But 
We are creatures of habit. We do like to have our own little plot, even though it's not full time. How is that? Is it changing? Or you? Think- I think it's changing. And I, you know, Stephen, probably like yourself, mm. I, I've walked into a number of uh, workspaces like that, and if you talk to the people, they they get a little bit thrown by not having the same workstation every day. And I think that sense of my desk and where I sit uh, is is kind of important and um, to actually throw that round differently every day I think um, it has been done in the past but it's becoming less and less mm-hmm. to actually put your put your work things in a locker and then go home and the next day sit somewhere else oh, that's, that's quite disconcerting yeah but it's it's interesting because a lot of practices followed that model and now I feel there's a backlash and people are saying, look, we can't work that way. Yeah. Um, it just no, doesn't I, feel like there's connection there. I think um, the both in living and working, it's about providing choices. And I think that as architects we need to be um, – uh, cognizant of the fact that people may not work and live the way that we work and we need to provide opportunities to actually live and work in different ways um, and not actually dictate that that work or lifestyle. The other thing that's interesting is students are now a very important part of Melbourne, huge, you know, particularly from overseas, coming to live here. And you did a, a very interesting um, development in Carlton, uh, university Place. That's correct, just next to the law school. Yeah. And interesting, and I mean, I, I covered it for one of my columns, and I found it interesting just the way you elevated the very simple things like the washing machines became a feature of the ground floor where people can actually yeah. see the washing machines from the street. And, and look, a, a lot of that thinking, Stephen, is if you go into any good hotel you actually walk in the front door and there's activity there's a there's a bar there's a restaurant there's a people sitting down there are people checking in there are people checking out and there's this kind of buzz of activity and i think on the ground floor of student accommodation buildings it's actually really important to have that activity to actually have that sense of 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 action of actually people walking around and the hustle and bustle and um I think there's a trend towards that also in the workplace that you don't walk into a sterile reception but you walk into a almost a hotel lobby that, that has a coffee machine, that has a hustle and bustle, that, that has a bit of action to it. And, and I think that kind of mixing programs is actually really important. Because a lot of those kids, they come from Asia, they don't know anyone, it's their first time away from home, they're lonely. Yeah. So to just direct them to a small room or a modest room and then they don't see anyone would actually be quite difficult. Yeah, I think it's really important to provide social interaction spaces and even in hotel design, um, the current trend is to make the room smaller and to actually force hotel guests down to the actual lobby, down to the restaurant, down to the bar, down to workstations so they can start to mix and 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 socialise. And I think in student accommodation, it's essential that, that students socialise and have um, those spaces where they do feel comfortable. The other thing that I think is interesting, and I think it came up uh, with the Dancing Towers, which is a uh, offices accommodation. Uh, Dancing Towers... French fly, the French fry or the zipper building, the zipper um, building yes. uh, is uh, apartments and a hotel and um, 
Yeah, and, and yes. And what's interesting about that, it doesn't try and be anything but Melbourne. I remember walking into it for the first time of oh, a number of years ago, a couple of years ago, and it doesn't try and pretend to be Europe. It doesn't. It's honestly Melbourne. Is that something that you think is becoming more common, that architects are actually responding more to the local environment wherever you are in the world, rather than trying to, to create an environment that takes you to some other country that I has think, no relevance? Yeah, no, I think um, it's interesting, Steve, our business doesn't necessarily, necessarily have a house style. We're, we're really interested in the sense of place. And what always interests me about Australia is I can fly five hours to Perth, I actually drive out of the airport in Perth and it feels like Melbourne. And I guess I feel quite strongly that a building that's built in South Yarra needs to be different to a building that's in Collingwood. And Docklands is kind of interesting because um, we've been working in Docklands for many, many years and in a previous life I actually did a, a number of master plans for Docklands and it's trying to find a Docklands uh, architecture that actually works and part of the dancing towers or the zipper building was to have a sculptural building that would demarcate that north-south axis through to Harbour Town and through to the Ferris Wheel but also be quite iconic coming in across the Balti Bridge and um, just be a simple sculptural building and I think I'm interested in simple sculptural buildings that, that have a strong sense of place. That building could not be built anywhere else in Melbourne. The other thing that's interesting with Docklands, which MAB Corporation have uh, really um, been wonderful in terms of redeveloping, is places take time to create a community, a history. You know, they don't just happen. I mean, Canary Wharf in, in London really only took off a few years after it was established. Yeah. Do you see that? I mean, do you think Docklands is really still getting the, its momentum? Look, I think, um, and I have my office in Docklands, so, so I've certainly put my money where my mouth is. Um, I think it's evolving um, and it's trying to find its own grain, its own sense of individuality. Um, I think part of the earlier problems in Docklands is that there were a lot of buildings that were built by one or two architectural practices that actually looked the same. And I think that sense of diversity, both in built form, but also what happens at ground level is actually really important. I think certainly in um, Newquay, what Map, Map Corporation did, how those buildings touched the ground and the actual retail interface at the time was very, very brave. Would you do that now? You'd probably do it in a different way. I think it's a little bit complex. But I think Docklands will evolve and it might not be five years, but ten years. I think it's an ongoing um, um, process and um, certainly from an amenity point of view, working there, it's a fabulous place to work. Mm -hmm. Being on the water, um, treating Melbourne like a waterfront city is, is, is a very unusual Melbourne experience. So it has a few good things going for it. Mm. I mean, look, they've got the library. It's going to have a school shortly. You know, there are things that will make it into a community, but it takes time. Yeah, and, and I guess what, what is part of the issue is I, I think it's often a little bit unfortunate that there's not a, a vision of what a place could be. And my only 
comment about Docklands is I think a lot of it is to developer apartment driven uh, that actually gives you a, a certain homogeneous feel about it and uh, I think um, the mixed use kind of starting to break things up more is actually really important. When we did the actual remaster planning of Newquay Central we felt quite strongly about getting uh, a number of architectural firms involved. So we had Wood, Woods Baggett do a building, we had MCR do a building, and we did a building ourselves. And just having a diversity of architectural form, um, because that uh, I be, think, is important. Because um, that would be my criticism of uh, Canary Wharf, is it's, it almost looks like a time warp from the 80s. Yes. Because it, every building looks the same. Yeah. I mean, you can't even... You kind of... It's... It throws you out because yeah. it just looks like this generic community. Yeah. And, really... and I think, Stephen, the other kind of thing which Melbourne planners are still kind of grappling with is the activation of the ground plane. And currently in Melbourne, you know, the, the it feels like the only way to activate the ground plane is through retail. And if you go... that to, makes the money. Yeah, but if you go to... New York and Boston and Chicago and, and, and Amsterdam, the amount of people that actually live on the ground floor, slightly elevated with a stoop, um, there are plenty of different ways of activating the actual ground plane. And I think part of the issue, certainly in the city of Melbourne, and you drive down Chapel Street, you drive down Gertrude Street, and, and in Docklands, there's just so many empty uh, retail spaces on the ground plane that could actually be living. Yeah, I think I agree with you. Look, I think uh, often people get into the head a restaurant, which yeah. is sometimes not a good mix between residences through, you know, smells and odours and, um, you know, rubbish left out. So there are other options, but people go, they, they just think, oh, a restaurant. Yeah. It's not really ideal in, and, in many cases. And, and, and a lot of what we've been doing mm. is actually looking at the concept of the a stoop of, of slightly elevating the ground floor so it's roughly tabletop height above the ground and where you might have steps uh, but you're slightly elevated you actually get a sense of privacy but but you're connected to the street and you know I, I kind of love those photos of people sitting on the stoop outside the, the, the apartment looking at the street, looking at people passing and um, it doesn't have to be shops, it doesn't have to be restaurants so Melbourne currently, yeah you walk down Fitzroy Street. It's Terrible. over. It's 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 empty. Disaster. And and um, so, activating the ground plane and having mm. an urban response that's not just retail. And you could be right that retail probably makes more money, but mm. it doesn't do good things for the actual urban yeah. environment. Yeah, and it, it eventually is like with Fitzroy Street. It just degrades yeah. to the point that no one goes there. The residents who live there are too. You know, it's not a particularly pleasant environment for them to return to every day. So in the end, they're, they're losers. Yeah. You know, it doesn't achieve anything. And and I think that um, um, my apartment in Sydney is actually a ground floor apartment that that's elevated out of the ground a metre. And I actually love it. I actually look out and I see heads of people passing and I feel connected to the street, but I still have a sense of privacy. Is it something that um, Australians, not just Melbourne, but Melbourneians, but Australians feel uh, it's their idea of privacy is quite different from people in Europe? I mean, in Europe, you'll see big picture windows on the street. 
basically there'll be a living room behind that pane of glass and you just walk past and you don't stare into someone's living room because you realise it's private. Here it's something that people feel a bit uncomfortable with. kind of an intriguing thought, Stephen, and Mm. certainly in Holland... um, it's the people who close the curtains at night you actually get worried about. Uh, um, and, and um, you, you know, mo- most Dutch row houses have very big, um, Dutch and Belgium and German row houses, for that matter, have, have very big windows because they're actually trying to get sun. And um, there is a totally different sense of privacy. Uh, people don't actually mind being locked in. Um, and I think here in Australia, we kind of have a little bit of that English sensibility of trying to fence off my realm. And, um, yeah. Well, look, um, thank you so much for coming on to the show today. Um, it'll be interesting maybe speaking to you in 10 years' time and then you can tell me where you think things have moved to, for better or for worse. But um, it is interesting also getting someone else's perspective. I know you've been here for, you know, 30 years, but I still think when you've had the experience of travel as you do and also your background in um, in the, in Amsterdam, in Rotterdam, it does change the... Uh, your outlook. Yeah, and thank you, Stephen. I've uh, I've actually enjoyed this. And I think the great thing about Melbourne is that I think we're all passionate about our city. And there's a passion about Melbourne that most Melbournians have that is probably not found elsewhere in Australia. Mm. I think that kind of interest in what Melbourne looks and feels like, I think a lot of Melbournians um, are actually really interested in that. Yeah, I agree. Thank you so much for... Coming today. Pleasure. You've been listening to Coast to Kaiser and it's Stephen Crafty talking design. Thanks so much for listening.